0: Hello and welcome back to the second episode of The VAR Booth. My name is Cole Herring and I just wanted to say thank you guys for all of you who listened to the first episode and hopefully you guys will be here to listen to future episodes. I'll be posting twice a week. One will be a Premier League roundup of the match matches that weekend, uh, which is going to be this episode and one will either be more question-based or a European football roundup. So, um... Yeah, like I said, today is going to be a Premier League roundup. Uh, it's the league I watch the most. It's the league that I'm the most knowledgeable on, so I just, this is how I'm going to get my knowledge across to you guys. Um, and it's the most watched league in the world, so it's it's very easy to connect to people around it. Um, if you haven't already, please drop a follow on the podcast so you guys can know when I upload. Um, and without further ado, we, let's get into the first match of the weekend Newcastle won, Aston Villa won. Now, last podcast, I said I was a Newcastle United fan, and I'm a majority I'm at heart. This this was a hard game to watch. Newcastle has some severe injury issues up front. We've got our three best players missing. Alan St. Maximon obviously is a fantastic dribbler. He is a true magician on the ball he can make defenders miss left miss right he he can create chances out of anything Miguel Almiron really has come into his own this year um Steve Bruce finally started playing him as like a 10 instead of a 7 or you know a 9 or an 11 out on the wing right um and Callum Wilson obviously Callum Wilson had, has what, almost 15 goals and assists for Newcastle this year. That's incredible. As a Newcastle fan, watching how poor Newcastle has been scoring the ball these past few years, Cal Wilson completely changed that. And those three being out has hurt our attack so much. Now, without being said, Newcastle played fairly well. Joe Ellington, a horribly disappointing signing. Um, for the past two years. Looked promising. Ryan Frazier looked promising. Dwight Gale looked promising. Joe Willick on loan from Arsenal. Newcastle need to sign this man. He is phenomenal. He looked fantastic. And was truly amazing to watch. Against this Villa team. This Villa team looked solid defensively, and I'll get to them in a minute. This Newcastle team looked much better than they did against West Brom last weekend. However, Kieran Clark scored an own goal in the 86th minute to make it 1-0 for for Aston Villa, and it was a very, very unlucky own goal, but it's, it's a goal that should never have happened. Newcastle's very, very, they're very unorganized. They're a very unorganized team. They're very... They tire out easily. This new style that Graham Jones, who's the assistant manager for Newcastle, has tried to implement is a very, very first half heavy team. And we can't score goals in the first half. Newcastle can't score goals in the first half. And they're just tired out by the end of the game. However, Jamal sells, the captain, what a beauty he scored in the 94th minute, last touch of the game. Great, great result for Newcastle. Newcastle did not coming into this game should not have gotten points out of this game. Great result for Newcastle this weekend. I'm very happy with it as a fan of the club. There's a lot of pluses on it. Obviously, we'd rather have the win. However, in a game like this, a point is crucial. Now, let's talk about Aston Villa. Aston Villa looks lost without Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish is phenomenal, but Without Jack Grealish, Villa looks like a a relegation team. Ollie Watkins looks looked horrible all game. He's been phenomenal for for Aston Villa this year. They're number nine. He has just looked. He looks so bad in this game. Bertrand Traore got injured early. He ruined Newcastle last time. These two clubs played. He went out early with an injury. Uh, Trezeguet looked lost for most of the game. John McGinn is a he's a great player. Locked down by Isaac Hayden. This villa team, like, I don't I don't know what to think about them without Jack Grealish. With Jack Grealish, they're a top ten team easily. It's not even a up for debate. Jack Grealish is a world, world class attacker and his creative ability is far and beyond most midfielders and attackers in the Premier League. He is Truly a joy to watch. But let me say this. They, without Jack Grealish, they look horrible. Tyrone Mings was being run in circles by Joe Ellington. And Joe Ellington's horrible. Tyrone Mings is a, is a defender that a lot of people wanted in the England team. He's horrible. You want to know who's not horrible? Ezri Konsa, his center back, his, his, his partner in crime, he is amazing. The fact that not a lot of clubs are looking at this man—he is much better than Tyrone Mings. He's a lot more consistent. He's taller. He's not necessarily more. He's not necessarily stronger, but he, his defensive awareness is much better. He makes a lot less mistakes. He's someone that you, a team like Everton, could use. So, uh, uh, not necessarily a top six team. Uh, could a top sixteen probably couldn't fit him in? Maybe Arsenal. Arsenal's have a, had a lot of problems at center back recently, but he looked phenomenal. Phenomenal. Obviously, Emmy Martinez in goal for Aston Villa is—he's a great, great keeper. And the header by Lachelles to make it one-one was amazing. Um, but this game was it looked like a relegation battle game, which it it was for Newcastle. But Villa should be doing better in this game. But I'm very, very happy with the result. A a lot of Newcastle fans aren't. I'm very happy with this result. This result was key for for Newcastle. And if they did not get a point out of this, it would have been very, very big struggles. Because if you look at Newcastle's schedule, their upcoming games, next weekend they play Brighton, a huge game in the relegation battle um, for both teams. If Brighton wins, they're most likely safe from relegation. And if Newcastle wins, it's a huge, huge jump. Huge jump uh, to safety. But ending the weekend outside of the relegation zone for Newcastle is a plus. And as a Newcastle fan, I will take that. Moving on to the next game. Leeds 0, Chelsea 0. This was a horribly boring game to watch. Good God. I mean, Chelsea obviously going to dominate possession against this Leeds United team, 62% to 38. They had more shots, more accurate passes, more pass success. They had more shots on target. They had six more shots inside the box. They completely owned Leeds and didn't score. This Chelsea team is reminding me a lot of a team like a Louis van Hall Manchester United team where they will dominate you dominate you in possession, they'll create a multitude of chances per game and they can't finish for anything. Now, I think part of that is because Thomas Tuchel, the manager of Chelsea, did not start a number nine. He started Kai Havertz at the number nine. And as much as I love Kai, I'm a huge supporter of Kai Havertz. He has had a really rough start to his Premier League spell at Chelsea, but he is a phenomenal number 10, which is exactly where he should be playing. Started him at number nine. Started him at striker. What are you doing? There's not much to say about him. He Thomas Tuchel hasn't picked an, an 11 for Chelsea yet. That is his strongest 11. He, for some reason, really likes players like Jorginho and Azpilicueta. Players who don't bring anything to the team, realistically. Yeah, sure. Azpilicueta is the captain. When he's on the field and his leadership qualities are really good, but he is a liability at right back. Reece James is far and away a better player than than Cesar Aspillaqueta, and Aspillaqueta is a, a Premier League legend. He was he's been phenomenal for Chelsea. I understand he's a huge part of their recent history. Reece, it's time for Reece James to step in. Reece James is he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster, he's better at everything except leadership qualities. Timo Werner has played phenomenal under Thomas Tuchel. What is he doing not starting this game? What is Olivia Giroud not doing starting this game? You have to start one of those two every game. You don't have a choice. Who else can play number nine for you? Not Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz is a great player. He's not a number nine. You cannot make him something that he's not. Players who played really well this game. Mason Mount, very, very, very good. Watch him at the Euros. I've told you guys last episode, I'm going to tell you again, he is amazing off the ball. Great on the ball, but his off the ball movement is sublime. He drags defenders with him. He opens spaces not even near the ball. Uh Angolo Kante finally in the starting lineup for Chelsea. Was was the man of the match for Chelsea. Stopped every counterattack Leeds had. Looked like Ngolo Conte of Leicester City days. He was just phenomenal. He was great to watch. It's always fun to watch players who are world class be world class. Chelsea's defense played really well. I mean, Leeds only got four shots on target and, you know, around seven shots total, I believe. So that's sublime by Chelsea because Leeds is a team who scores a lot of goals. I mean, they give up a lot of goals but they score a lot of goals. So there's a lot of pluses and minuses for Chelsea. Um, you know, Hakim Ziek played this game. He's really not a good fit in this Toykel system. They, they should offload the dead weight. They signed too many players this summer. Ziek was never going to work with a player like Havertz or Werner. He's just not quick enough. He's a very good creative midfielder and, you know, he he won Dutch Player of the Year three years in a row at Ajax. He was fantastic. Yeah, a lot of people remember him in that Champions League run that Ajax had, the semifinals. He was amazing. He was he was the most skillful player on that team. Not the best, but the most skillful player on that team. He doesn't work in this Chelsea system. Christian Pulisic looked horrible. Really he's been really struggling under this under this regime. But I don't understand Toyko. I mean, it'd be nice to watch for the rest of the season how he's going to put his 11s together and stuff like that, but I don't understand what he's doing. It's very confusing. As for Leeds, it's a massive W for them. It's a massive win for them to come out of this game 0-0. They did not attack well. They did not defend well. But Chelsea just couldn't finish that's just that's just the way it is Bamford came out early uh, for Leeds Patrick Bamford came out with an injury which is not good for Leeds United a lot of Leeds fans don't like Patrick Bamford but frankly you know what he's scored 13 goals he's had five assists this year yes he should have more goals yes he should have more assists but he's put in 13 and he's assisted five he's 18 goal contributions for your first season in the Premier League. That's very very good. Misses a lot of chances, but he's at least he's converting some of them. At least has a bright future. There's player, but for the rest of their team, I mean their goalkeeper played very well. Uh, Elon Meslier, you know he's he's a very decent player, good young goalkeeper. But this is a huge confidence boost for him. He played very, very well. Leeds' defense is paper. They can cut through it so easily. Every team can cut through it so easily, but their goalkeeper's really keeping their defense somewhat together. Calvin Phillips had a good game for Leeds. You know, He stopped some counterattacks. He started some attacks. He's just... He's got no help behind him. If, it, if the ball gets past Calvin Phillips, it's almost surely a goal, which shows how much work he has to do to keep the game 0-0. So, for Leeds, you know, difficult, but 0-0. Zero, zero. Chelsea needs to be doing better in this game, 100%. That's not even a question. All right, we'll go to the next game. Crystal Palace 1, West Brom 0. Thank the Lord someone beat West Brom. In this relegation battle, we need Newcastle needs... All the losses that Fulham and West Brom can have. And thank the Lord West Brom gave up this penalty. Because God, Crystal Palace looked just horrible. Apart from this penalty. They looked terrible. They started started Zaha this week. They started Benteke this week. Their defense played very, very well. But attacking-wise, they looked so dead. No creativity up top. You know, Abreche Eze was taken off in the 74th minute for stamina reasons. Yeah, but Eze is incredibly creative, but they, did, they just didn't let him. And, you know, credit to West Brom, they suffocated him when he got the ball. But when you've got players like Wilfred Zaha and Abreche Eze and Jordan Ayew and Christian Benteke, the creativity level should be higher than what they are. I don't have a lot to say about Crystal Palace. They're a confusing team. I'm happy they got the the win for relegation reasons, obviously, for Newcastle, but they're a very confusing team. There are games where Zaha and Aze look like two of the best top players outside the top six and there then there are games where they look like, wow, they shouldn't even be playing in the Premier League. And this was one of those games. Zaha looked terrible. Benteke looked terrible. You know, Ayu did not look good. Aze looked the best out of all of them, but he was suffocated all game. As for West Brom, they're going down. I think if, uh, there's not a lot of West Brom fans that I know, um, but if you're a West Brom fan listening to this podcast, I'm sorry. That loss just almost confirmed you guys going down. It's over. You needed a win out of your last two games, either against Palace or against Newcastle, and you didn't get one. And frankly, I don't feel bad for you. Sorry. Your next three games are against Chelsea, Southampton, and Leicester. You're not going to win a single one of those. Especially if Danny Ings is back for Southampton. So congratulations to Palace. I'm sorry, West Brom fans, you're going down. It's just going to be the way it is. Next game, Everton 1, Burnley 2. Chris Wood and Dwight McNeil put two goals past Jordan Pickford in the first 30 minutes. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin scores in the first half as well. Jordan Pickford is awful. The fact that he is England's number one is is a, a disgrace. I'll talk about him more in a second, but let's get to the actual player performances. Like I said last week, Everton is lost without James in this midfield. Tom Davies was their most creative midfielder today, and he played, you know, he played very well. Tom Davies. I don't know if a lot of you know who he is. You shouldn't, because he's not that great of a player. You got Andre Gomez there. He's an ex-Barcelona player. Allen ex-Napoli player, you've got big names in this Everton team. You can't be losing to a team like Burnley. Burnley is not a team who scores two goals a game. They are not a good scoring team. And how are you going to let this happen? Burnley is so, so bad on the attack. They're so disciplined in the way they play. Sean Dyche football is, is dirty. It's muggy. It's difficult to play against. No team should be allowing two goals to Burnley. No team. But Jordan Pickford is horrible. I don't have anything else to say for about any other Everton player. Jordan Pickford is just terrible. He's a horrible goalkeeper. And and frankly, a lot of people who know soccer will say, oh, you, you say that because he used to play for Sunderland. No, I don't say that because he used to play for someone. I say that because he's just not a good goalkeeper. He comes out when he's not supposed to. He's not big enough to be a world class goalkeeper. Jordan Pickford is six foot one. A lot of people will be like, that's not very small. His arms are disproportionate. He is very, very bad. He's just bad. His decision-making is horrible. He gives away penalties all the time. He makes stupid mistakes. Yeah, he can kick the ball well, punt the ball well. He's accurate with his feet. Cool. Play in the midfield, then. What are you doing in goal? Horrible. Horrible. And, you know, he got subbed out in this game. And his, his sub-goalkeeper played better than it. His sub-goalkeeper, who's 21 years old, played better than him. He's part of the Everton U23 team. Jordan Pickford's been Everton's number one for the past two or three years. Unbelievable. As for Burnley, what a performance from this team. Dwight McNeil does not get the praise he deserves because he's in a boring team. This, This Burnley team is full of of solid players. There's not one player on this Burnley team who you look at and you're like, that's a bad player. He shouldn't be starting in the Premier League. This team is very, very solid. They're disciplined. Sean Dyche has always had a disciplined team, but this team is a little bit different. I mean, they're 15th this year, but that's because they they haven't had a goal threat. If Chris Wood starts playing well, this team could jump two or three places by the end of the year. But Dwight McNeil does not get get the praise he deserves because he plays on Burnley. There's never a time where he is not the player who creates the most chances or, or finishes the most dribbles. He does his defensive duties as a left mid. Yeah, he loses possession a lot, but that's because he's the only player in the Burnley team who can create. He's phenomenal. A, a, Bigger teams should sign him. People don't watch Burnley because they're Burnley. That's that's what a lot of Premier Leagues say. Oh, they're Burnley. We just don't like to watch Burnley. Yeah, but Dwight McNeil's a special player. I'll tell you what. I'll take Dwight McNeil on Newcastle. He looks... Top-class players look horrible. Just horrible. He's the only player on Burnley who can create. And he scored... A very good goal against Everton this weekend. Chris Wood obviously started his Burnley career very, very well. Has trailed off a little bit. But a great shot by Chris Wood to put Burnley in the lead. And a fantastic strike off the post by Dwight McNeil to make it 2-0. And the game was out of reach before it even started. I mean, they, Everton scored in the 30-second minute, but Everton did not look good in the second half. Really did not look good. The fact that Burnley looked more likely to go 3 or 4-1 up than Everton looked like to tie the game is, is bad on Ancelotti. It's bad on the Everton team. It's bad on Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, Iwobi, players who should be creating more against a Burnley team who is, who is good, but there's nothing special about them. But congratulations to Burnley. That was a huge win. Big, big blow to Everton's European football hopes. But a huge win for Burnley. And I applaud Sean Deitch for that. Now let's hit the next game. Fulham 0, Manchester City 3. Yes. That's all I have to say about this game. Yes. It was 0-0 at the end of the first half. And as a Newcastle fan in the relegation battle, I was losing my mind. And then Man City came out and in 15 minutes scored three goals and the game was over in the second half. Manchester City, it's like they don't want to try most of the time. They have a switch where they go, oh, maybe we should just score two or three goals to put this game to rest and then we can just relax. They looked relaxed in the first half. And obviously you look relaxed if you're Manchester City playing, playing Fulham, but have a little more urgency to win. And they showed that urgency at the beginning of the second half. And then I was like, what am I doing criticizing Man City for, for not playing with urgency? I look like an idiot. This Man City team is, is phenomenal. Ruben Diaz, John Stones, and America Laporte starting a three-back against Fulham. That is a deadly three-back. John Stones has been playing world-class. Ruben Diaz has been a world-class signing for Pep Guardiola. Unbelievable business by the Men's City board. Yes, they have a lot of money, but they're signing the right players. Jao Cancelo has been fantastic this year. He was my man of the match today against, not today, but this weekend against Fulham. He was very, very good. They haven't given him the chance because Kyle Walker has been playing so well for City, but recently when he's been starting, Cancelo's looked like the best player in this team. I mean, there were players on City who did not play very well. Bernardo Silva. You listeners of this podcast will come to learn that I'm not a huge fan of Bernardo Silva. I think he's quite frankly useless um, in in Pep Guardiola's system. Very talented player, but his his talents are put to waste in a system like this. He's he's not built out for this system. Congratulations to Sergio Aguero for scoring his first goal in. However long, because he's been, he's been injured, he finally got back on the pitch today. And he scored his first goal in many games. I believe in almost 30 Premier League games. As for Fulham, I mean, come on. You, you're not expecting to win this game. You're lucky to get out with a 3-0 result. I'm sure at the end of the first half they were thinking, we could maybe get away with a point. No. 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 Fulham didn't even look bad. Manchester City just looked good. There's not a lot of bad to say about Fulham. They've got some very good players. They've got some very aggressive players. They've got a great play style. Scott Parker has done a very, very good job managing this Fulham side. This season, I know they're in the relegation zone. However, Fulham's a fun team to watch. If they go down, they'll be right back up next year. They're, they're going to be a floater team for at least the next four or five years, definitely. But quite frankly, they have a real chance to survive. They, they play fun. They play hard. They're a very, very difficult team to beat. But, come on, I think everyone knew that Man- Manchester City was going to walk out with three points in this game. I just think everybody knew it. There, was, there wasn't any doubt in anyone's mind that Manchester City was going to get the win here. Alright, and let's move to Sunday's games. We got Southampton 1, Brighton 2. Massive win. For Brighton, right here. They were there's something about Brighton where they start playing very, very good in the in in the first half. They play very well for the first twenty minutes, and then the next twenty five minutes, they look horrible. And then the first twenty minutes of the second half, they play really well, and then the next twenty five minutes, they look horrible. And they scored in the sixteenth minute and they scored in the 56th minute, inside that 20-minute mark of each half. And if they don't allow however many goals in the 25 minutes after their great performances, they're going to win the game. And honestly, Southampton didn't look too dangerous. You know, Southampton is a a hit-or-miss team. Started out the season very, very well. They've dropped all the way down to 14th, you know, it's difficult to watch for Southampton fans. I know a few Southampton fans. I know they're not happy with how things are going right now, especially because of how they started the season. There's a point where Southampton was third in the table. But there's only so much Southampton can do when your main number nine is injured and you've got to rely on young goal scorers. They're starting Nathan Tella up top. He's a 21-year-old. You, that's a lot of pressure. To, to cover Danny Ings boots. Danny Ings has been phenomenal for, for, for Southampton these past two years. But Southampton didn't look creative. There was no one on their team who really stood out. Obviously, Shea Adams got the goal. But other than that, there was no real urgency for Southampton to win this game. Brighton looked phenomenal in the first 20 minutes of each half. They're a great team to watch in the first 20 minutes of each half. Because they are energetic, but they just tire out so quickly. But they won. you got to give credit where credit is due. Brighton's another team in a relegation battle right now. Uh, like I said earlier, they play Newcastle this next weekend. They've got 29 points. Newcastle's got 28. Fulham's got 26. So this, these bottom 16, 17, and 18 are very, very, very tight. And it's gonna be interesting to see how over the next, you know, nine or ten games, to end the season, who's gonna come out in that last relegation spot. All right, let's go to this next game: Leicester five, Sheffield United zero. Sheffield United's going down. Everyone knows Sheffield United's going down. This is actually the game that got um, Chris Wilder sacked for. Sheffield United, which is obviously a sad time. He's Chris Wilder was the ex-manager of Sheffield United. He's managed them for the past five years. He's a childhood fan. Sad time for Sheffield United, but realistically, it's a good move for the club. They're not a horrible team. They just couldn't get it together this year. They're going down. They're 20th. They've been 20th all year. They're, they've just looked terrible. Whereas Leicester finally found someone who could replace James Madison temporarily. Ayose uh, Perez at the number 10 spot looked fantastic against this Sheffield United defense. There was nothing this Sheffield United team could have done to stop Leicester. Ian Nacho, who's really struggled since coming from Manchester City, looked great, scored a hat-trick. Jamie Vardy, assisting instead of scoring. But nevertheless, Leicester looked fantastic. Phenomenal. Brendan Rodgers is a great manager. A lot of people will disagree with me when I say Brendan Rodgers is a great manager. Brendan Rodgers is a great manager. This Leicester team is talented, but there's not a lot of people who could put this talent together and get wins. And that's exactly what Leicester's been doing all year. They're third. They're five points above fourth. They're one point behind Man United for second. Obviously, they're not going to catch first-place leaders, Manchester City. But this is looking like a European campaign for Leicester. They missed out on it last year, barely. Fell off at the end of the season. Very, very disappointing for them. This looks like the year that they can pull through and maybe even, definitely a Europa League spot, maybe even sneak into a Champions League spot. Leicester back in Champions League, how about it? got to the quarterfinals last time. This is definitely something that they have the ability to do. Now the matter is, will they tire out at the end of the season like they did last year, or will they carry on and get one of those top four or top five finishes that they've been looking for? There's not much to say about this game, honestly. I mean, it, it really just came down to Leicester City has better players than Sheffield United does better tactics, better manager, better players, and that's going to result in a beatdown. All right, let's go to the North London Derby. This was probably the biggest game this weekend. Arsenal 2, Tottenham 1. Wow, wow, wow. This game was drama-filled. In the 33rd minute, Eric Lamella, world-class Rabona, through Thomas Partey's legs, bottom right corner, sublime finish. Does anyone else who watched soccer recognize that Lamella is horrible at shooting until he hits out a Rabona and then he can suddenly just become messy? It is incredible to watch Eric Lamella Rabona the ball. I never thought I'd say it'd be incredible to watch any player Rabona the ball, but his shooting is automatically three times better whenever he does it. It's the only goals he ever scored, but Arsenal had different plans. Od- Martin Odegaard scored in the 44th minute, and Lacazette finished a penalty in the 64th to make it 2-1. LaValle gets a red card late in the second half, and from that on, Spurs lose the game. This is an incredible win for Arsenal. Arsenal live rent-free in Tottenham's heads. Tottenham is a far and away more talented and better team than this Arsenal team is. Way better managed and Arsenal are still going to come out on top in this Northland derby because it's it's just the way that it works. It's like how Sunderland has has rarely ever been a better team than Newcastle, but whenever they play each other, Sunderland will somehow find a way to win the game. I know I know some I know Sunderland fans and they'll agree with me on that. They are rarely ever a better, better team than Newcastle. Rarely ever have more talent than Newcastle. But, you know, they'll, they'll settle for the, the three points whenever they play us. Unbelievable. But Arsenal looked great in the second half. They did not look good in the first half until that Odegaard goal. And realistically, this is not a team that, that I thought had the heart to come back and win after, after Lamella scored that goal. Tottenham needs to do better, though. You've got the best striker in the league. A top three wing player in the league. And Gareth Bale, who was coming out and started to play really, really well. But in the second half, Mourinho decided to sit back. Mourinho, world-class manager, it's past his time. It's time for him to stop managing soccer. He was phenomenal for a decade. A decade and a half. He's not anymore. He can't get the job done anymore. This Tottenham team has has the talent to finish in a top-four spot. They have the talent to win the title, and they are not even top seven. They're eighth. You can't let a team like Everton be above you. That's depressing for a team like Tottenham. A great, great day for Arsenal's defense. They stopped Harry Kane. They stopped Min Son. Human Son, I don't want to say they stopped him. He only played for 19 minutes. Stopped Gareth Bale, stopped Lucas Moura for the most part. But this Arsenal team put together a very solid performance in the second half. If this Arsenal team can play like they did in the second half, they can make a real Europa League push by the end of this season. A real Europa League push. But it's going to be tough because they're very inconsistent. Mikel Arteta hasn't really figured out how to get a good 11 on the field and how to keep a good 11 on the field. But congratulations to Arsenal. They looked great for most of most of the second half. Looked. It, it's like Arsenal has to go 1-0 down to realize that they have to play, which is not a good place to be. All right, let's move to this next game. We've got Manchester United 1-West Ham 0. Very, very tight game. Very tight game. And I'm really going to talk about one player for most of this game. Most of this time that I'm going to spend on this game. I'm going to talk about one player from each team. Everyone says that this year, Manchester United's best player has been Bruno Fernandes. And while the stats will show you that, if you watch Manchester United, Manchester United do not win unless Luke Shaw plays well. Luke Shaw has been phenomenal this year. He pockets everyone. His crossing, his, his attacking prowess is fantastic for a left back. He has had a lot of injury problems coming from Southampton. And a lot of people never thought he'd get his feet on the ground for Man United. But ever since Man United have had that loan deal for left-back Alex Tellez from Porto, Luke Shaw's been playing like prime Roberto Carlos. He has looked amazing. He pockets everyone. Sterling, Susek, Antonio, Mares. He's looked phenomenal. Unbelievable to watch. From a knowledge perspective, he knows exactly where to be. He knows exactly the pass to make. He knows when something's too forced or whether it's just right to force it. He's Manchester United's player of the season for me. He's been their most important player. Apart, I mean, apart from Bruno Fernandez, a lot of people will say Bruno Fernandez. Yes, the stats will show attacking wise. Yes, Luke Shaw playing well decides if 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 Manchester United win the game or not. That's how important he is. When Alex Tellez plays, you don't get the same amount of production from this Manchester United team. Luke Shaw looks amazing every time he steps on the field for Man United, and that's why they're second this year. He controls the defensive line, and he controls that left side with Marcus Rashford. He allows Marcus Rashford to get into better attacking positions because Luke Shaw's always in the right position. Watch. If you don't watch Manchester United... Watch a game this weekend or next weekend and watch Luke Shaw, the left back, number 23. He is amazing. He has played amazing this year. If he is not in the EPL team of the season, if they do not vote him into the team of the season as the starting left back, it's rigged. It is rigged. He is phenomenal. And I'm going to talk about, for West Ham, I'm going to talk about Declan Rice. Please move to a different club, Duckland Rice. Your talent is being wasted away at West Ham. And do not get me wrong. West Ham is fifth right now. They're having a phenomenal, phenomenal year. They're not going to do this next year. Someone's going to sign Thomas Sucheck Someone Better sign Declan Rice. There is no team apart from Manchester City who could not use this man. He can do everything in the midfield, everything, and he never tires out. He does not make silly mistakes. Disciplined, strong, fast, smart. Any team apart from Manchester apart from Manchester City in the Premier League can use this man somewhere in their team. Somewhere. He's that good. And watching him for West Ham is on it, it makes West Ham fun. Watching him and Susek play together, it makes it makes it fun. Now, let's get to the actual game. 1-0, obviously. As I said before, it was an own goal from Craig Dawson. Unlucky for West Ham not to come out of this game with a point. This game should have ended 0-0. No team looked particularly great on the attack, but both teams defensively looked rock solid. Manchester United coming away with three points. You'd expect Manchester United to win this game, but not in the fashion that they did. All right. Now, to last game of the week, Wolves 0, Liverpool 1. Good lord, Liverpool finally win. Finally. They're away from home. And I'm going to talk about how much different this Liverpool team looks with Diego Yota instead of Roberto Firmino. Roberto Firmino, all the respect in the world to you. All the respect in the world to you. You are washed. Liverpool fans might hate me for saying that. I know Liverpool fans who are going to come at me after saying that, but Yota gives you the same quality passing the ball and deadly finishing. Yota comes back to haunt his own club and scores. He is a much better number nine than Firmino is. Oh, but Firmino is a defensive number nine. There is no such thing as a defensive number nine. No such thing. Now, man of the match of this game goes to Liverpool's entire defense. Their defense was phenomenal. Trent Alexander-Arnold, I'm not a huge fan of Trent Alexander-Arnold, looked great in the first half today. Second half, more shaky, but looked great in the first half today. I'm a huge fan of Robertson. He works incredibly hard. A great defender, a great forward. Ozan Kabak, new signing, looked great. Nathaniel Phillips, new signing, looked great. Allison looked good. This Liverpool team obviously has had injury issues, and I don't believe they're going to make European football this year. But wow, this was a very good performance. Now, this Wolves team still doesn't have Raul Jimenez, and now they're going to be out without Ruy Patricio. Rui Patricio, their goalkeeper, suffered a horrible head injury in the last minute of the game. Hopefully, he's going to be okay. Prayer's up for him. But this Wolves team looks lost without Raul Jimenez, and that's nothing against William Jose, who's their replacement number nine. He's a great player. He is no Raul Jimenez. Raul Jimenez is a fantastic striker, creative player, Strength players off the ball. He is a bully up top. And it's exactly the type of type of player that Wolves needs right now. And he's out. But he's back in training. Hopefully that we can see him soon. He's a great player to watch. But hats off to Liverpool for finally getting that win that they've needed for so long. And hats off to their defense for finally performing up to standards. Because they haven't really all year, and they've they looked very, very good against Wolves. And that's the end of the weekend. So I think there's a lot of things to look back on. You know, the top four is still Man City, Man United, Leicester, and Chelsea with West Ham and Liverpool just outside of that. And your relegation race, you've got West Brom and Sheffield United who are not officially relegated but will be relegated most likely. And then you've got the race to not finish 18th between Brighton, Newcastle, and Fulham. They're three points apart. You've got Brighton on 29, Newcastle on 28, Fulham on 26. Next weekend, huge, huge games at the bottom of the table. Not really so at the top of the table. There's a few games that could affect the top of the table, but nothing really special. So just keep a lookout for the relegation battle games, those are going to be very, very key. We're going to talk about those a lot next week when I do my next Premier League roundup and the results of those. And then after that, there's not going to be a Premier League roundup the week after that because there's an international break, but I'll most likely do a podcast on the international break and on some international teams. I know a lot of people will want to hear about some international teams, so we'll fill you guys in on that. I'll be uploading later this week on a recap of the Champions League games, um, and maybe the Europa League games. I'm not sure. I haven't actually decided, but definitely the Champions League games, and maybe some more questions from you guys that I'll answer. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I will be back on Thursday or Friday. Goodbye.